Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. I'm Jamie Chen. Hola, I'm Inez Bebea. Hi, I'm Nathan Schiller, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Our guest today is Ashley Davies, co-founder of Club Seattle Runners Division in 2017, who is also an instructor for Shred 45 in Seattle and Flywheel, certainly raising the profile of Black female fitness instructors and coaches. And speaking of Black women in fitness, for today's Sports Legacy, we will focus on competitive bodybuilding, something that Ashley has experience in as well. In 1979, Carla Dunlap from Newark, New Jersey, at age 25, decided to enter the Best in the World Bodybuilding Contest after years of practicing gymnastics and competing in synchronized swimming. She had never trained for bodybuilding, but still placed fifth among 45 contestants. She won the National Physique Committee Nationals title in 1981 and 1982. Her most successful year of competition was 1983 when she won three pro shows, including the Miss Olympia contest. In addition to her individual titles, Dunlap won the World Professional Mixed Pairs title in 1984 and 1988 with Tony Pearson. Dunlap is the only female bodybuilder to have competed in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Ashley, um, in 2016, you decided to enter a bodybuilding competition, even though your background is in running. Tell us why you decided to do that. Yeah. Um, so for the longest time, um, my connection to running had been something that was just really personal about my ability to be able to, to do something um, that I thought I couldn't do to achieve at levels that like I constantly questioned for myself. Um, and so that was something similar that I saw, you know, in bodybuilding, a challenge for myself that um, was outside the scope of like what I was used to, a level of discipline outside of the scope of what I was used to. Um, and so I think that was part of what drew me to try something, um, to also get really uncomfortable with something that was so focused on my body. Um, you know, it's something that I've just had a difficult time navigating, even from like a really young age, just being comfortable um, in my in my body, just period. Nevertheless, like in a really small <laughs> um, suit and then on stage in front of people. Uh, so I think it was a combination of elements of just one, wanting to stretch myself in a way that I haven't before and also get really uncomfortable with how I think about uh, my body um, and to me there's nothing um, there's plenty of ways you could go about that <laughs> there's nothing that could challenge that more than saying I'm gonna put on a, a, a sparkly suit and and do some poses in front of other people that you that I don't know I think that's a, a heck of a challenge and I mean that that takes a brave person because I've seen those competitions and you're right. It takes a lot of confidence and running. I can hide myself behind like an oversized shirt and a pair of shorts. Um, your first experience in your running journey though, was in grade school. Uh, when you participated in the presidential fitness challenge, why did you do it? And then you never ran again until you were 11. What was the inspiration? So then I didn't run again until I was 11. I think probably because I didn't like running. <laughs> I was doing this presidential business challenge just in order to say that I did it um, because it was my way of feeling like I, I did what was expected of me um, for the physical education class that we had at the time. Um, but I started running again at 11 just as a way to manage my weight. Um, you know, I experienced my youth um, in a, um, you know, a larger body. And I felt conscious of that as a young person. Um, and so I didn't really know what to do. Um, but I knew that I could just put on some shoes and run around my neighborhood. Um, and I heard, you know, that was effective way of movement. Um, I 
didn't have to ask anybody. I could just go. I didn't have to pay anything. Um, and so that's how I um, got into it um, in the, with a little bit more regularity um, when I was 11. Ashley, you've touched on so many issues already. Um, just to go back, it, you were talking a lot about, Ashley, like what it was like. I, I was wondering if you remember anything, like if you can put yourself in that, um, that age that you were when you had to run this mile in nine minutes, like what did it feel like? Did you think about it all the time? I just remember like, when they had us run, I was always running sprints. And when they had us run a quarter mile in fifth grade, it was like, it seemed like going around the track, it would just never end. And then of course you get to high school and it's like, oh, quarter mile, I can do this in a second. But what was your mentality like then? Yeah, so my my dad and I are like best friends. Um, so, and he was always a runner. And again, like at that age, I never identified as a runner in any way. Um, I didn't really identify with any type of sport. Like I used to um, take dance classes and, you know, dabble in all the things. Um, but I actually like, I enjoyed the challenge because I got to do it with someone who I really enjoyed being with. I think it was a way for us to continue to do things. Um, and like, he always was proud of me every time, like whether, you know, we had to, we had to practice that many times before I hit it. And, even so, like he was always proud every time we did it, even if I didn't make it. Um, and so it was nice because if I didn't have that, if my only connection to that time was, you know, showing up to gym class and doing it, I, it would have totally stressed me out. Um, you know, um, I think a lot of things about school really stressed me out. <laughs> um, even though I did well and I tried really hard, I just felt like a lot of things about um the way things were structured and um you know just at that age thinking about uh you know different groups and cliques and fitting in and and women's bodies changing just a lot of things happening at one time so it was um it was it was really it was fun it was a fun thing to be able to do with him and just like enjoy our time together well that's great so then also speaking of stress then in eighth grade, you develop an eating disorder. Can you tell us about um, what happened? So, you know, I mentioned a little bit about um, when I got to a certain age and just like began to have that awareness of my body. Um, and I didn't know how to navigate it. You know, I didn't know what was normal. Um, you learn a little bit in school. People try to talk to you about certain things, but um i think people uh, manage it really differently and so i took to running as a way to manage my weight because i just felt like i didn't look like other people um from a size perspective from a color perspective like i grew up in a really rural part of new jersey as one of like the only um one of a small number of black people nevertheless black females um and so you know our bodies are our bodies are different they just are and so, you know, going through puberty at that time and experiencing that um, and just, you know, not knowing how to navigate it, who to talk to. Um, and even to this day, you know, I don't, um, it's, it's hard for me to talk about things with certain people. Like I feel like sharing things with other people is burdening them, like burdening them with my feelings and my experiences. I've always just had this kind of like giver mentality, listener mentality, not being the one to um, receive or to ask for help. Um, so, you know, my way of asking for help, um, and as I got older, you know, I learned a little bit more about just eating disorders and how it, it's a way of like dealing with trauma um and so you know i think for me the element of control that came with trying to like control how much i exercise control how much i weighed um as what i thought was just a way to manage my weight was really a way to um a, a way to like uh be seen and i like to this day i still reflect on it um in how strange it is that like it's like shrinking yourself to be seen so i had i had anorexia um and so it just got to a point where i was constantly finding new diets um and then just eating less exercising more 
just constantly shrinking myself as a, and to me, that was a way to feel like I could show up looking like other people, you know, I just felt like in the, in the body that I was in, nobody saw me. Right. So if I looked a different way, if I showed up in a different way, people would see me. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, there's, I mean, there's, there's so much I could talk about that period. Um, and just kind of how times of my life where I've held on to that times of my life where I've tried to use that in a way to like make change and just also just navigating like what, what I feel like is healthy and what I feel like is not healthy. Um, I think in today's world, you see a lot of people who, um, talk about their experiences really openly. And honestly, I have no problem talking about it, but I also recognize that some things are healthy to talk about and some things are actually really triggering to talk about. So if you want to, if you want to talk about things, if you want to like speak about things, you can speak from experience, but I always try to speak in ways that I think are helpful and not just say things, um, that I think could be triggering. So what, I think, I think it's pretty brave of you to be able to be open and share with this. And, you know, just briefly speaking about your eating disorder, you were actually placed in a clinic. Uh, you were the youngest person and the only person of color diagnosed with um, uh, anorexia. Can you, Can you elaborate, elaborate on it? Yeah. Uh, so I guess I was right about, let's see, 13. Yeah. So I started like managing my weight like around 11, 12, and then it got really serious by the time I was about 13 going into eighth grade. Um, and I just like, at that point, I just completely like withdrew from the world. I just like, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to do activities. Like I didn't want to do anything. And so I think my folks just didn't understand. They didn't know what to do, you know? So um, I think as they started to learn a little bit about my symptoms and like what I was doing and not doing, um, you know, I, I can't speak for them, but recognize that I needed help, professional help. Um, and so they um, took me to an eating disorder clinic. I was living in Virginia at the time. So um, the, we, they found a clinic that was about an hour away and was inpatient there for um, about two, three weeks. And so while you're there, they just really focus on getting you to gain weight just so that you can kind of be healthy. They run a bunch of tests um, for just things like bone loss um, and other side effects that can happen from just severe restriction. Um, and then they focus on a whole bunch of different therapies. So we did everything from individual therapy. I did therapy with my parents. I did art therapy. Um, I was doing school, I was in there, and then they also just try to um, teach you how to, how to do life, how to do life, you know? Um, it, it's like, it's wild for me to think about it now, because like we would have sessions on how to go to a store and pick out food, or like how to decide which like things that you're just like, wow, I like, I can't believe it. There was a point in time where I didn't know how to navigate these things on my own. I was just so paralyzed from life. Um, and it's like at that age, um, you know, I had a really good friend um, in Virginia and, you know, my parents just told her, oh, you know, Ashley's sick. She's not going to be at school for a while. And um, all the kids like wrote me this, card and we're just like we heard you're not feeling well no we're just we hope you feel better sorry no i um, i just, yeah no don't worry about it i i seriously thank you though it, it's so raw to be able to talk about these things and i guess people aren't aware sometimes about what it's like yeah and so you know, I, I tear up sometimes because I think about the childhood that I lost um, and just like being able to have that joy at that age. And I feel so fortunate to be so focused like as an adult in just like having joy in my life and being able to share joy with other people. And I think that um, 
really influences a lot of what I do today. Like just like literally I think about myself as like how I can bring joy to people. And so, um, yeah. Um, but just as I think more about that experience, um, you know, after I was able to kind of like ground myself and just like learn some of the basics, you know, being in the clinic was so eye-opening because you see other people struggling and for people who have eating disorders, they deal with body dysmorphia, meaning you see something that's not real, right? Like you, you interpret yourself in a different way than the world sees you from a physical standpoint. And so seeing other people who like thought they were in large bodies, like not in large bodies, it was and seeing people who were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years older than I, like struggling with things that I was struggling with. I think, you know, um, as impactful as that was, it was also really eye-opening to be like, I don't want that to be me. Or like, it gave me a different perception. It gave me a different understanding of what I was struggling with. Um, I think you sound really empowered. Well, I think you sound very empowered though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, given what you've experienced with food and body image issues, how can the fitness industry help with body positivity? Do you feel that that is, you know, something that we need to talk about too, so that people are aware of that? That's such a great question, you know, and it's, um, as much as I can reflect on this now, there were times I would say even five years ago where I was not in the place that I was, you know, and, um, and so when I first got into like teaching fitness classes, I think there was a part of me that wanted to hold on to elements of the, um, you know, diet culture, right? Like, because to be in fitness, like people, like your body is your thing. Your body is what people see. It's like what sells. So there's some element of like, you have to look a certain way for people to assume that you have a certain amount of credentials, credibility in doing certain things, right? Otherwise, visually, if they don't see that, they just assume you can't be capable of certain things. Um, and so, you know, I think when I first got into um fitness like even even pacing and running you know running running cultures is another thing and i'm i'm really glad that more crews are out here now showing more people and more bodies and i'm i'm just like bring it all on for for people of um all different sizes and ages and races um but you know i think in terms of the fitness industry itself um people just need to be more reflective and more open. You know, I think people get really, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? People get defensive when they get called out on things. Um, and it's like, you just have to realize that there are some things that people say and do that, that could, um, be harmful to other people um, that don't promote like what we need to promote as an industry. And there's just so much power in what we can be for people. You know, um, I talk with my crew leaders about the fact that wellness um, is in many instances just a, like a nicer name for diet culture, you know, the way people talk about being well um and you know spending forty dollars on classes and like being like having to do this and that and looking a certain way and drinking this and eating, eating that it's like no like that's not really what wellness is <laughs> um, um that's fitness that sells and creates million billion dollar industries ashley i wanted to ask you how what role running played in your treatment and recovery to get you into this place of, you know, your career and your life? Yeah. I mean, I, for the longest time, like I said, like running saved me. Um, and now I rephrase that to like running and therapy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think there's also the mindset of like physical, physical, um, movement and, um, is like therapy and it is, it's great, it's wonderful, but there's also like stuff that people need to work on. And that sometimes means really like digging deep into some internal work. And so for me, um, you know, in order for me to be able to run, um, I first 
joined the cross country team in high school, like on the, after I had come out of treatment and I started running, I couldn't maintain my weight. And they were like, if you can't maintain your weight, you can't run. So I was like really motivated to maintain my weight. Um, so I could run. Um, and then as I was part of a team, um, my first time, like being part of a, like a team, I realized how prevalent eating disorders are in running. Um, you know, how much pressure and stress there are on athletes um, at all levels to be a certain size because that size is tied to people's perceived understanding of their ability to perform. I saw it at high school, I saw it in college. Um, and if people were performing, like people just wanted to turn the eye on whether they had um, an eating disorder or whether they had, um, you know, behaviors that just weren't healthy. And so I like, I knew that wasn't a good environment for me. And so I think constantly seeing that um, and also just recognizing that I could still be healthy and eat healthy and exercise in a, um, a healthy way and still enjoy the sport, um, I think helped me um, continue to just kind of like recover and think about movement and running differently. So earlier you mentioned that through um, your recovery process, you were taught how to go to the supermarket and how to shop. So what was your relationship with food like before? And, you know, as you went into like high school and like, as you said, there were like a lot of girls that were also suffering with um, eating disorders. Is this a conversation that the coaches had with you guys? When I was in high school, our coach never had any, never had any conversation like this with us. Um, and um, it was like, it was a conversation that existed in some places, you know, in some magazines, every once in a while you'd hear like a story about an athlete who died because they were severely restricting and exerting their body, but it wasn't like an active conversation at the time that I was in high school. Um, and so for me, like my relationship with food um, was in like a healing process for a very long time, like up until very recently. And so like, I used to measure everything I used to be really strict about what I would eat, what I wouldn't eat. Um, I tied like everything I ate to my expenditure in terms of if I ate something, I had to exercise a certain amount. And um, there were just certain foods that I said, like, I will not eat those. Like, I do not eat that. Um, and it just, you know, certain situations were really stressful for me to be in because if they revolved around food, I felt uncomfortable. Um, and then I think as I got a little bit older, you know, I started to loosen that up a little bit. I started to build, you know, more relationships. I think again, like it's the tie of food, like my perception with my body. Um, and then just like how I, how I navigate both of those things, like in the real world. So New York was a, was like a total shock <laughs> to my entire being. There's lots of people, there's lots of food. <laughs> They're just like an overload of everything. Um, and it was, New York was a, as a, was a super challenging time for me, but also like a really special time. Um, and yeah, I, um, I think it's just, you know, I feel I'm, I'm like in a really great place right now and just how I think about food um, in my like comfort um, in, in how I um, am able to nourish myself and, and just like not restrict. So I'm, I'm grateful that I am where I am now. And I know you mentioned that in order to be able to um, leave the place where you were getting treatment, that like you had to reach a certain weight. Um, so I'm wondering how were you able to, I'm wondering how were you able to like hand in hand like deal with anorexia and then also recover because then once like you said you went into high school and you joined a cross country team that will you know bring your fitness level your activity level even higher so how did what do you remember the, the moment where you were able to say like fitness is not the way that i punish myself to be smaller but the way that I heal to be comfortable in my body. 
You know, I think as a, um, as a teenager, I don't think I really understood what healing meant. Um, you know, the concept of like healing, uh, I don't really think I, I could say I knew what that was. You know, I did things that were probably healing to me, but it wasn't co conscious. You know, there were definitely days where I just like trying to get to the next day. Um, I think running created a lot of goals for myself and I got just really focused on my ability to perform and perform consistently. And I, I realized that when I nourished myself properly, I performed well. Um, and I still felt like my body didn't look like other people's bodies. Um, and I wondered like if I weighed less, if I could perform faster. Um, but I just like, you know, my parents are just extremely supportive. Um, I don't, I didn't really have a super supportive team in high school, um, but I think just like, you know, having such a strong home foundation was really helpful to me. Having the people closest to you be so um, encouraging and just so focused on your whole person, right? You know, my parents were really excited about my running, but they were most, they were most excited about just like me being excited about something. You know, because I went through so many years of just like not being excited about anything, just like being really removed. Um, and so, you know, when I just, again, think about how we show up for people, it's just like feeling like you show up for the for a person and a person's energy. Right. And thinking about just like being people's hype person and you know, not getting yourself so ahead um, onto other things, but really just trying to align with with um, what somebody needs, right? Being there for somebody, being able to um, be behind them, support them through things. So when you went to college, did anything change? Um, were you close to your parents, uh, you know, geographically? Um, did you go away for school? What was your experience also with, um, with you know, representation and access in athletics at the division one level? Um, hoping you could give us like an insider's peek because those are things that we've explored here. Um, and it's always nice to get a new perspective, especially coming from like everything you've already said. So, um... I'm gonna take you back a little bit and then I'll jump forward real quick. I won't, I won't go back to too much, but this is something that, and I don't, I don't mean, I don't go around sharing this, but I feel like in this perspective, it, um, you know, I give some context. So, you know, I like, I had always been the A type in high school, like about doing all the work, like trying to get myself on a track. Um, I worked really hard, like at the expense of like having any type of social life. Like I would get picked up from high school, like I'm in the car, like literally working on homework on the way home from from gate from meets and school and things like that. And so when it was time for me to go to my counselor um, and tell them where I was applying to college, I, I picked out six schools. I visited them. I felt really strongly about them. And he had told me like, oh, looks like you need like some more safety schools. Like, uh, do you feel good about these? And I told him like, I have my safety schools in here. Like, I feel really good about all these schools. Um, and like that just sticks with me because I had never met this man and he just didn't believe that I had the ability to get into the schools that I thought I could. Um, and I got into every one of the schools that I applied to, um, everything from, Ivy League schools to full scholarship running schools, like all different types of schools. Um, and I was really particular because I knew what I needed, right? Like I knew what I needed. I said I didn't really understand what healing was, but I understood what I needed to continue to like support where I was in this journey of recovery. So I wanted to, I wanted to pick schools that was going to support that. Like I didn't want to go to a really big school. Um, and so I ended up going to William and Mary, which is a division one um, school known for its running. Um, I walked onto the team and um, like one of the, one of the things I noticed first off, like so many of the girls had eating disorders, you know, at different places in their disorder, but they were just like a thing. And um, 
you know, so when I first noticed that, I just like, I got a little bit anxious about what that was going to mean for like my ability to continue on my recovery. But, um, you know, I showed up to practice. I worked really hard every day after practice. My legs would just burn. I would like go to the library and just put my feet up in a, in a chair, like in the library every single day after practice, because my legs would just, I never had worked that hard in my life. Um, it was pretty, it was like, it was fun to work that hard and to like see results. Um, you know, I had a great coach, um, but I just like, every time I went to practice, I just was stressed. I was like, can I handle this amount of work? Like, what if I can't, what are they going to think of me? Um, you know, I was the only black woman on the cross country team, which is probably like pretty typical of what you'll see. Like when we go to other meets, like you don't see many of us. Um, and so it's just like, even just that every time you show up somewhere, you just, you question whether, whether you're meant to be there, right? Just having nobody there look like you. Um, and so it just became a little bit too stressful for me. Um, and so I ended up transferring to a smaller, uh, smaller school closer to home, um, where I felt like I could manage both academics and athletics in a way that was healthy for, for me. Um, and yeah, I, it was, uh, turned out to be a good fit. I made great friends, had the ability to still run and like really enjoy running, um, and be close to home, which was good. Let's talk about the run scene. Uh, mm. A lot of our, our lot of a lot of our listeners know all about New York City, and we know about the cruise. Uh, since you know what the New York City run scene is like, let's give the listeners an idea of what the running scene in Seattle is like. Are there crews like there were in New York City? So there, there aren't. There, are, there are clubs, um, but not crews. And so the, I mean, the New York everything is just an energy like you, like that's unmatched. Like, every, like, run crew, like everything, everything in New York is just unmatched. I'll say that. Um, I'm also like born and raised on the East Coast. Um, my parents are from New York, so I, I feel strong attachment to the city. And so when I got here. Um, Nike Run Club had a Seattle chapter. So it was like one of the first things I did. I was like, oh, I'll just go to one of the runs they had because they were offering two runs a week. And came, met some people. I knew what to expect, which was nice. Um, and otherwise, like I checked out other clubs and I definitely like, I didn't feel welcome. Um, and so um, I met great people through those clubs, but I just didn't feel feel welcome and so how, how so how would you not feel welcome so one of the things um in particular like i'm in a new city i don't know anything like i don't know where things are i don't know the streets i don't know my way around <laughs> and so to go on a run and just like be with a group and if you don't stay with a certain person like you don't know where you're going right and so just having the challenge of like showing up to a group and like i'm like i don't know where i'm going <laughs> people talk about routes and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, I just, I, I just moved here. Um, so that was an issue that I had in some instances. And then, um, in just like, I was looking at some other groups and, you know, they just talked about having to run certain times and like applications and all, and things that I just felt like were barriers. I was getting used to a new city. I was getting used to a new schedule I was like, I want a place where I can just show up and run. I don't know if I can, you know, commit to a certain schedule. And um, I didn't want to feel stressed to have to feel like I have to maintain a certain time to run in certain groups. Um, so that was just a little bit. Were there any moments where people like really made you feel like, you know, uncomfortable? No, I, I would say no. Um, I, I say no to that, but I also recognize that like I, I naturally don't feel comfortable. <laughs> so it, people, I think people will find this wild because they're just like, you're so outgoing. Like, you know, everybody, but I'm like a naturally an introvert. So it's kind of like in order for me to feel comfortable, someone has to make me feel comfortable. Um, and that, I mean, it is what it is. Like, like there has to be something that's like actively done for me to feel a level of comfort. And so that's the thing that I just felt was missing, um, which is, you know, what I wanted 
to create when we started our own run crew, that idea of like someone actively creating comfort for people. Can, can you talk about your own run crew? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, we, like, I, I started running with the Nike Seattle group when I got here, like literally right when I got here, and then they just stopped having runs. So I met several people through that group and um, one of them um, talk about extrovert, super extroverted, just like a fabulous um, person, um, now a, a new mom. Uh, but she was like, let's start our own group. And I was like, that sounds kind of scary. <laughs> but I said, okay, like, let's try it. And so um, we also um, had talked to someone who used to take photos for um, um, the Nike runs as well. And we all got together and we just said like, let's just do it. Like, and we're like, let's not overthink it. I'm, I'm all about the, let's just do something and iterate from there. Like we have a lifetime to continue to iterate and change things. But like, that's so much of like the crewness of me to me, rather than saying like, let's create this really structured club. Like, we're just going to invite a bunch of people to come run and we'll go from there. So that's what we did. We um, invited um, everyone we knew to come run. They met at my apartment. We snapped some photos in the street outside. It was raining. Surprise, surprise, Seattle. <laughs> we ran down the waterfront. We took some more pictures. We get some high fives. We came on back. We ate some food. And then we were like, let's do this every Monday. And unless there's smog, um, smoke, or like snow, which it doesn't really snow here. And it doesn't lightning here either because it doesn't rain that hard. It rains, but it doesn't rain hard. So we just literally been meeting every Monday since 2017. We, when we first started, we would meet at different spots in the city. It's just like a way for people to see different places. But then we found out that it was just difficult for people to know what the schedule was. Um, and it wasn't super central where some of the places we were meeting. So we ended up finding just like a really central meeting place. And um, we've been meeting there. And the crew is just, um, you know, I think because the way some of the run groups in Seattle have been, people assume the run culture here is one where you have to be an intermediate to like experienced runner. And, and we just are constantly trying to actively change that the idea that running can be for everybody and you know you can walk you can jog you can run you can push a stroller you can walk a little bit you can walk a lot you can do whatever like you want just come do it with people um and you know have a um people cheer you on along the way so well, I think uh, maybe your experience from being a Nike Pacer in 2014 and 15, do you think that that helped you uh, be able to come up with your concept? And, you know, now you have other people relying on you, but were you able to use those Pacer duties to uh, um, work with your uh, club? Totally. Yeah, there, there's tons of things from those days that I constantly think about. Um, I've even just been thinking about some of the speed sessions that we've had and just like how to create some of those same fun elements out here. Um, but yeah, I just, just the idea that you don't leave anyone behind, that everyone is just like encouraging to each other. Um, you know, it's, it's, Definitely, they talk about Seattle, the Seattle freeze, um, and how people are just not necessarily openly warm to each other. And so not that people aren't nice and warm people, they just like the idea of just showing up somewhere and just actively being like, hey, what's up? How are you? Like, let me tell you about me. You tell me about you. Like, let's just like have some flow right in new york like everyone just like what's up what's going on hey how you doing let's talk about things here it's like oh there's someone i don't know don't make eye contact eyes down like walk away hide can i ask the marathon questions no yeah <laughs> um your first marathon was in pittsburgh which is actually where i grew up so i know that course well and i've been on that oh. in that race um while you were in grad school right and mm -hmm. Then your most recent and number 14 was in Chicago, actually my first marathon, like I think many people's first marathons. Nice. Um, so 
I was wondering like how you have grown as a runner, as a marathoner from this whole journey. Yeah. So I ran that first marathon in Pittsburgh in grad school. I mean, I'd finished, I went right to grad school from undergrad, um, partly because I like didn't know what I wanted to do in the world. Like I had some idea, but I wasn't really sure. And I like, I wasn't really ready to go out into the world. Uh, and there were some more things I wanted to work on. And I also really liked studying. So I was like, this seems like it could be a fit for me. Um, but I, I had always had an interest in like running longer. Like I felt like I kind of get my stride at like mile seven. And in, in college, like you don't even run to mile seven. Like, I mean, there's no, there's no activities in high school and college where you're running that far um, competitively. So, um, I would just like, I think the marathon could be my thing. So I started training, um, in grad school, just, you know, because you can kind of make your own schedule kind of fit for me to do that. Um, I found there was this, um, one of my classmates, she was preparing for her wedding and she knew that I was like a runner, really active. And she was like, can I just work out with you? And I was kind of like, sure. I was like, but I'm training. And so I need to run certain paces. And she was like, well, just one day a week, just one day, can I run with you? And I said, fine. So she started running one day a week. And I felt like I was, you know, kind of holding my pace back to run with her. And then she started getting faster. And then she was like, can I join you on these runs and these runs? And then she started joining me on my long run. I trained for my first marathon and this woman ran 21 miles with me. The Pittsburgh marathon was the same weekend as her wedding. I was like, this is crazy. You should run the marathon with me. You've trained with me the whole entire time. Um, but I say that to be like just the experience of marathon training. Like my first marathon that I trained for, we trained together. It wasn't intentional. You know, she ended up joining along. But it, it was just, I think it made the experience really fun to do it with somebody. Um, it, it was my first one, you know, we were doing it together and it just like created a different challenge. You know, I wasn't focused on speed so much as just like getting through the miles. And then when I went out and ran my first marathon, um, it was just so fun, like to go around the whole city and like see different parts of the city. My cousins live in Pittsburgh. And so I knew a little bit about it and I had been there as a child and just like, just, just like doing this run where you see the whole city and people are out there cheering. Just like the combination of things between, I thought training was kind of fun and I thought the race itself was fun. It just got me hooked on the marathon. Um, and then I did the Pittsburgh again the next year. And then I just thought this would be a fun way to like see other cities. So I started to be like, where else, what other fun places do I want to go to where I can run a marathon? Um, because anything shorter than a marathon, you can't really see a city. I mean, how are you going to see a city in like 13 miles? That's definitely one way to get people into running long distance. Like you uh, can't city, you can't just do half. What's 13.1 going to show you? Like an outer yeah. bag? No. But now, as you talked about your, your running journey, um, you're now also like an ambassador for Lululemon. And you also are on the board of Girls on the Run, um, Puget Sound. So tell us about that, being uh, an ambassador, and then why you felt the need to be part of Girls on the Run. Yeah, so um, I'll talk about Girls on the Run first, and then I'll tap into Lululemon. So I actually, my first experience with Girls on the Run was actually in New York City. So when I got to New York right after grad school, I was just like looking for things to like do and get connected to the city as an adult because I hadn't really lived in the city as an adult. Only been ex I've only experienced the city as a, like a child. So I volunteered for the Girls on the Run end of the season 5K. Um, it's at Icon Stadium. And it was just the like funnest thing ever. You have all these girls. So Girls on the Run programming is for girls in third through fifth grade. Um, and they teach them life skills through running. So it's every, we, you meet two times a week, there's a, like a life skills lesson. It can be about respect. Um, it can be about, you know, bot, your body it can be about, um, so many different things. And then they do like a running activity related to it. So, um, and then it ends with them doing a 5k in New York City, it was at Icon Stadium. So all these girls that like, get so excited, they got, they're painting their face and their hair and they're waving all the things, they're running. Um, and so after that, 
I ended up being a coach um, at a homeless shelter out in Brooklyn. And so we would meet the girls on the weekend and they would just leave the shelter. We got to a local park and then we just do activities with them. And then for the 5K, um, they were able to arrange for a bus to take their parents out to Icon Stadium so they could cheer them on. It was just so great to see parents out there um, just cheering their their children on um, in the activity. And um, I just like, having gone through the things I had gone through as, as a young adult um, and my like connection to running, I wanted a way to like give back in that way. And I tell them, you know, I, I think like Girls on the Run was like made for me. Like it was made for me to be involved in. Um, so I just like, I'm so excited to be on their board and be able to give back in that way. And then in terms of Lululemon, um, my, the, the run crew that I co-lead, um, I came into a Lululemon store one day after a run, dressed in run gear, and they were just like, you know, what were you doing? I told them I've been running. I told them I had a run crew, and they were like, oh, we should, we should do, a part, do something together. So we started doing um, these uh, just partnerships. We would do a run from the store, and then they'd bring one of their ambassadors to, like, do a short you know, core workout or yoga or meditation afterwards. And then they finally asked me like, if I wanted to be um, an ambassador myself. Um, and for me, you know, I just want to keep exposing our crew to, to more things. Um, you know, running is awesome, but a lot of our runners are new to running and they need more than just running, right? They need to know how to stretch and recover. They need to know how to strength train. They need to, it's good to know how to meditate. Like it's, it's good to know about nutrition. Like it's good to know about all these things, right? And the thing that gets people running is because it's free and it's accessible. But then they're like, I can't afford or I don't, don't know how to navigate all these other things. So, you know, for me, our crew is really about being able to expose people to wellness in all forms and to like show that all people are welcome in this sport, right? And so, you know, I just constantly thinking about how we can do that and what that looks like. And, um, you know, the partnership with Lululemon has just been great because they've been really supportive of the goals that we have and trying to think about how um, they can show up for the things that, you know, are important to me, so. With Lululemon, they help with your vision, how you want running to be inclusive. So now tell us about how things are like for you on the other side of the fitness industry as a black woman who is an instructor, who also worked with Flywheel, who are, you are a coach, how you've been able to navigate just being seen in this industry where like we talked about that they're always looking for a certain body to be the leader in classes. So how have you been able to be successful that you are in fitness in Seattle? That's just a constant struggle. And it's something that I personally struggle with because I don't know, like, I don't, like, I don't know how to tell people that because at this point, you know, I've been in Seattle six years um, and maybe they'll listen to this podcast and then they'll be like, this is your announcement. <laughs> but that's like, I don't know how to, like, I feel like I can be in friendship with people or I can have a relationship with people and really, res like, really appreciate them and the work that they do, um, but also feel like they don't recognize that it's just hard to be a Black woman in fitness because we're just, like, um, th like, there's not support for us. Um, and we constantly in spaces being like, I'm the only one. Um, and then you, not only do you navigate the fitness scene, like you're navigating life and being a black person in fitness. Right. So like over the past year, I, like, we want to show up for people in a, in a, in a class. Right. And, and it becomes really hard when there's just things going around and the things happening in the world, right. That impact the way you feel like you can show up in space. Um, and so, you know, other people don't have to experience that. They can just go into a class and turn on the music and go hoorah. Um, and not to say that other people don't experience other things from a personal standpoint. Like everyone has their own battles that they're going through. Like if that's one thing I've recognized 
over my lifetime, it's like, that is true. Like we have some warriors, like who don't talk about stuff, um, who are just trying to live life and, and do the best they can and give, which is awesome. Um, but I've just felt like I, um, I just always felt like I have to do more. Um, and there's some things that like, I can't control. Like I, I mean, I, I guess technically I could control the way, like my body shape, but I don't want that stress, you know? So I'm like, this is my body. This is the body that I can bring to class. And if that doesn't work for you, then maybe it makes me sad that you're not accepting of that, but I have to move on. Like I can't be somebody else because that's what fits in a certain space. Um, and so I definitely feel like there are studios and spaces that still have work to do in that area. Um, but I also feel like there are studios within um, Seattle that are definitely more mindful of that. And that's been awesome to see how they've come along. Let's, let's just take it back to uh, COVID. How did lockdown impact your group? Um, how did you stay connected? Because it was a scary time for a lot of us last year and isolation made people think a lot about their mental health. One of the things that um, it was good about our group is that, you know, we've been around for a little while. So we had a lot of friendships and relationships that are already formed. You know, I think one of the things that's so nice about our group is that it's more than just a group of people that come together to run. Like some really deep friendships have formed from that um to the extent that people were showing up for each other over the last year um because they had those relationships built through the runs um and so we weren't running together as a big group but people were running in small groups people were just doing things in small groups picnicking or or having zoom dates you know just doing things whether it be running or not but just staying connected we did a few like zoom calls with breakouts and talked about things and you know people liked being able to see each other especially not being together um and then we did two different run campaigns um one um last june and then we did another one this past may um just raising my money and awareness um for causes that related to black lives matter um and um also just support for our larger community so um, those were really good ways for us also to kind of just like stay connected. Uh, Ashley, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about the controversies surrounding high profile athletes like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles for prioritizing their own mental health in lieu of, you know, their 18th title or, you know, whatever everyone else in the world thinks they should be doing. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, and having having had so much experience, you know, going through um, my own mental health struggles, um, there's so much stigma around it. You know, I like, I don't, I, I've rarely talked about it and I don't, I don't talk about it a lot just because there is a stigma and I'm like, I don't want to deal, like, I don't have time to deal with people who have stigma around it. Like, I just, sometimes I'm like, I have things to do and life to live. Right, and I don't want to deal with other people's feelings around whether things are legitimate or not, or or whatever it is. And so, I mean, as I think as it relates to that, the only thing that we have like is our health. I mean, we there are other things, but like that is so important for people to take care of themselves. You know, I think it's important for people to take care of each other too. But you can't take care of others until you can take care of yourself. Um, and I don't like no one should question these women's uh, need um, to take care of their mental health above other things. And, you know, as it relates to um, Simone, I mean, it is it is um, dangerous <laughs> for her to compete like I, like that in and of itself should just be the end of it. Like it's dangerous for her to compete if she's not in a state to compete like that, that's just any any gymnast can tell you that. Um, and so um, I think over the last year, we've just realized that there are a lot of trolls who exist um, in this internet space, um, which is why it's like great to be able to have a crew where we operate a lot in, in real life rather than feel like our crew is solely 
um, on the web. You know, it's great when people can connect in meaningful ways virtually, but, you know, there's also a lot of things that can contribute a lot of harm in the way people talk and don't filter themselves um, in certain spaces. Do you feel that you're still on your journey of healing? Totally. <laughs> um, I definitely wasn't expecting to, um, to take some moments earlier on. So clearly I'm still in that moment of healing. Uh, and I also, you know, I'll just be honest with you. Like there are sometimes when I'm just running by myself and I just like, I get overwhelmed with feelings and it's a combination. You know, I, I, I talked about this longing for like part of my youth right, that I feel like I lost, but it's also tied into, like, this sense of pride that I often don't feel like I'm able to fully express, that I just hold internally, you know, it's like there's part of me that like, doesn't want to celebrate myself, but then there's part of me that just, like, you need to celebrate yourself, um, and so I have those feelings, like, when I'm running by myself, and it just, like, not really focused on anything besides the fact that I'm just, like, I'm here, and I'm doing it, and I'm, like, and I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that I can still maintain a relationship with running where I like it, um, and I think that's so important because, um, you know, a lot of people go through these experiences where they don't, where they don't like or love the sport anymore. Um, and so I just like, when I no longer love the sport, like I know that something is wrong. Right. And so I, that's what I try to maintain for myself, um, to be in that space where when I show up in, in either in my crew or within the sport, like I'm feeling great joy to be there. In regards to celebrating, what does each medal that you get after you cross that finish line mean to you? And what is marathon number 15? Mm -hmm. So marathon number 15 is supposed to be Boston in um, like two and a half months. <laughs> so we will see. Uh, I definitely um, was moving my body in different ways during COVID. So like normally I'm just like constantly ma marathon ready. And then I just, you know, kind of tailor my training to whatever race is coming up next before you know, before last year, I was doing one or two marathons a year. Um, and, you know, so I think, um, you know, we'll see. I still hope to go and have some fun uh, in an in-person race because that will have been my first one back. And then I, I missed the first part of the question. I was so excited to talk about my next race that I just totally... <laughs> the first part was... What is it? You talked about celebrating. So, oh, what does each medal mean to you when you cross uh, the finish line, knowing your journey? Oh my gosh! Um, I would say that like every medal is so different. Like I've had different people with me on different races. You know, I've talked a lot about the influence my parents have had on me, and they've been at some races. Like we went, they came to Austin with me, and we did the Austin Marathon. And you know, we tried all the tacos that we could eat in the five days that we were there. And then I've gone to races and paced different friends in their marathons. So those medals mean something else. And I've had my first in certain experiences, or I've had PRs. And, you know, it's like every medal has not been a PR, and, but every medal has some level of significance and some level of, you know, come back to the idea of joy and celebration. Um, and so I think it just really ranges, but um, I definitely don't take those medals for granted. You know, at the end of 26.2 miles, I'm like, I definitely did something today. <laughs> No matter how fast or slow I went, I definitely always feel the end. Like I put in, I put in some work. Um, so, you know, that's just always exciting. Um, just to be able to feel like I can get through it, see a city or see a city for a second, a third time. I've run Chicago a few times. So, you know, seeing the city in a different way or experience it in a different way with different people. Let's keep celebrating all the, all the milestones. So now we've reached the last right. segment of our podcast, which is called The Hot Mic. So here you get to close out the episode by talking for two uninterrupted minutes 
not that I think we interrupt you much anyway, about anything that you want. You could even talk about 90 Day Fiance episode ah. season. I don't even know what season we're up to. I mean, I did see you hashtag that. We could rant and rave about all the spinoffs. Uh, awesome. So I just, well, I was, I was going to say, oh. you know, like another idea. Yeah, yeah. So ideas. Give me ideas. So you can vent about any Bryce Silva meltdowns oh. that you had. <laughs> I don't know if I should put any of that on the record, so I might I might say off that. Well, you could always tell Enos to edit that part out. But ah. <laughs> Nathan, uh, Nathan will hold up the stopwatch. He's got a traditional stopwatch. I like. I feel like I had some ideas, and like now that I have these two uninterrupted minutes, I don't know what to talk about. Um, and I'm just gonna go. Like I'm just gonna talk. Nothing else is gonna happen besides me talk. And I have to talk for two whole minutes. I can't like talk for less. Girl, have you listened to yourself this whole interview? You have been going on and on and on. So you've got a lot of good stuff. Oh. Two minutes is our, you know, loose constraint. We've had, you can do whatever you want, but it's mm. your space to close out our show. Just give me a moment. I'm just like trying to think. Well, I think you did touch on um, the fitness industry and body images, and you did talk about um, where you feel Simone and Naomi in mental health, how we can probably improve today now that these conversations are comfortable to have. Yeah. Okay. I can talk about that. That's something good. Um, cool. You know, so we have been, we had just been talking about the the fitness industry and you know i still have a hard time thinking about the fact that um you know i'm a fitness instructor someone i remember having someone in my class um i had done an afrobeast class um which i like can't wait to do again um and uh, the person who came to my class i just mentioned you know i i I had seen your picture and I was excited to take someone a class with someone who looked like me. Um, and, and, um, you know, it was the first time I heard certain music that like I had never heard seen in certain places. And to me, like, that's just so huge. Um, you know, I think there's oftentimes, you know, we think about what is it that people want to see or like, how do we create this space that sells or how do we create this space that appeals to everybody? And in some instances that makes sense, you know, the idea of how do we create a space that appeals to everybody, but in sometimes it's like, you have to bring you to a space. Right. And so like, as I teach fitness classes, I've been like, I'm going to play the music I want to play <laughs> and I'm going to share the energy that I want to share. Um, and you know, if you don't like it, that's okay. You don't have to come or maybe you'll open up your eyes and you'll like enjoy something different, but I don't believe in the idea of like, well, I'm going to play things that are going to appeal to everybody. Even if like, it doesn't jive with me, like I'm going to bring myself to and deliver that to people because I want to share that. And I also want to share something that's not represented. Um, and so, you know, I think as we think about the industry, as we think about just like how we as participants show up, you know, people should feel like they can show up as their true self, right? And they could share feedback with instructors um, about what they like and what they don't like. And you should frequent places that give you what you need and you should not frequent places that don't give you what you need, right? Um, and not be concerned about, you know, what's in and what's not, um, and show love for the instructors who show love for you and the spaces that show love for you. Um, so, you know, I just, um, again, like I, when I think about how I got into fitness, I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why. Um, um, I know why I, I know why I got into running, but fitness is a little bit different, and it definitely is filled with a lot of things that I feel are challenging for me to navigate. But I think that that's exactly why I stay. I stay in that space because there's um, not a ton of people who look like me um, or people who have the same mindfulness about the way 
spaces could look um, and how about how we can better just like show up for people, especially people who don't have, who don't see themselves in, in, in class or in other spaces. Um, so I just hope that um, other instructors and, and people in the industry just continue to think about like how you can, how you can show up for people who don't feel like they're seen because um, that was me. That was me at some point. And um, I just hope that everyone has the ability to be in a space where they can feel seen for who, who they are um, without having to modify that in any way. And time? Well, we don't talk about time so much on this podcast. It's not really about that. But <laughs> that was 347.07. Very nice. So, uh this is the only time that matters here because as you were as you didn't know what to do for like two minutes and then people get comfortable <laughs> let them go well Ashley I think actually you brought in a, a wealth of experience and energy and courage in sharing your experiences um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show um, you know you're doing so much many efforts to make running a more accessible and welcoming and hospitable place for everyone um, so it's really commendable and we look forward, I mean, I look forward and we look forward to following your, your fitness and running career. Um, if you throw some bodybuilding in there too, that's, you know, yeah. as a challenge, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, and also this was a wonderful way. I can't think of a better way to have a first Seattle guest. So that's, um, you know, that's a special thing on our podcast to open up a new city. Nice. Well, <laughs> so um, I want to thank you again for coming, and I want to thank my co-hosts, Inez and Jamie. And as always, I want to thank our listeners, because that's who we're here for. So we'll um, talk to everyone next time on the next episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store, and follow us on Spotify.